Well, maybe nobody has told you, but uh, the economy in the United States is not in great shape right now. I could probably find some charts to put up there on the screen to let you know, you know how bad things are, but I have a feeling that you've already felt in some way that the economy is not great. And you've made adjustments, and maybe you've even longed for like something to come through and happen to just you know, make it all go away. Maybe you've prayed that you would like win the lottery, even though you would never buy a lottery ticket as a Christian. Uh, maybe you've just, you know, hoped to stumble upon some, some money or, or, or get the dream job or whatever. Um, maybe you've even wondered, oh, if it could only like pour out money from the sky, it would just make it all go away. Um, well, I found a video earlier this week of a time that people who didn't even know it was about to happen suddenly saw money raining down from the sky. Uh, Do you want to see it? This is real money. Real money. Okay, go ahead and play it. like me, when you see that video, you ask yourself, where was I on that day when that money started falling from the sky? Nobody told me where to be and when to be there. (laughs) Well, there was an activist group that actually tried to make a statement on that day by throwing those buckets and buckets of money over the side of the building. They were trying to communicate the message that it's better to give money away than to spend it on all of the things corporate America puts in front of you. I don't know if that message was received, but I have a feeling that not everybody who picked up that money gave it away as soon as they picked it up. I might not have. Well, the question is this. When you find yourself in a financial famine, when you find yourself in a tough spot, when times are hard, does God have anything to say to us during that time? What does it mean to trust God to provide for you during times of famine? And thankfully, God's Word does address this topic. When, when fears race through your mind, when you don't know what the future holds, when you feel helpless, like a victim, the question is, what does it mean to walk by faith? What does it mean to walk by faith during times of financial famine? Faith in God. Well, Elijah is going to help us answer that question And Elijah is one of the greatest men in all of the Old Testament. We left King David behind last week and we arrive at the person of Elijah. And I just can't pick a favorite in the Old Testament. But I tell you what, Elijah was amazing. He was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was a political reformer. He was a worker of miracles. He was the first person to bring the dead back to life. He was the second person to ascend up to heaven without dying. In the New Testament, Jesus led his disciples up on a mountain 
And he got the call for just a couple people from the Old Testament to come back. And guess who he called for? Moses and Elijah. Wow. Elijah will teach us about what it means to trust God during times of financial famine. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, where we will meet Elijah for the first time. 1 Kings chapter 17. And as you're turning there, you have to understand what's going on in the nation of Israel. We have a really bad king on the throne. His name was Ahab. He's one of the worst kings in history. And his wife was even worse. Her name was Jezebel. Her mission as first lady was to introduce Baal worship to the people of God. She succeeded in doing it. Now Ahab and Jezebel were reigning, and Elijah's job was to go speak to them for God. What was going on? So 1 Kings chapter 17, it says this. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerith that is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook, and after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. The first point that we learn about walking by faith during times of famine is this. Write this down in your bulletin. Trust God to provide. Trust God to provide. Why? Well, because he controls the weather of the world, for one thing. He said, Elijah, go tell the king I'm going to just turn the rain off And the New Testament says the rain was off for three and a half years. Hey, what would the economy be like if the rain turned off in 2010 and God hasn't turned it back on yet? Forecast, no rain. Forecast, no rain. Forecast, three years later, no rain. It would be devastating. God did this. To show that he alone has the power to provide. He controls the weather of the world. Now, you know that the weather of the world is pretty unpredictable and uncontrollable. Am I right? Am I right, given this last week of weather? Have you seen pictures of what's going on in Chicagoland area? I've got pictures to show you. Look. Welcome to Chi-Town. That's the suburbs. Here's another one. Maybe you never, maybe you haven't had time to take a riverboat tour of the city. Well, hey, it's brought to the suburbs. Get your boat out. Check out this next one. That's the Brookfield Zoo. It's the tunnel. Brookfield Zoo closed for the third time in its entire history on Thursday and the fourth time in its history on Friday. Why? Crazy weather! Here's the next one. Check this out. Sinkhole because of the weather and water main break. and the, 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 whole, the whole earth is giving way and crazy weather. And yet God shows that if he wants to turn the rain off, he can turn the rain off. He controls the weather. He also, therefore, controls all the food from the ground, the rain from the sky, and therefore the food from the ground. He's in total control. 
Psalm 145, 16. We'll put it up on the screen. Hey, let's say this together. Read this with me. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Let's take a poll here. Raise up your hand in the room if you are a living thing. Go ahead, put your hand up in the... If you're a living thing, raise it up high. There are a few hands that are not up, so do a little check. Spot check to see how they're doing. Check your neighbor. (laughs) Uh, If you are a living thing, God takes credit for opening his hand and feeding you. No rain, no food. God brings the food he provides for every living thing. It also reveals here that he's in complete and total control of the entire animal kingdom. He says to Elijah, go tell the king no more rain, and then run for your life. <laughs> well, what would it be like? What would it be like if, if you got on TV and said, I prayed that the economy in the United States would go down the toilet, and it went down the toilet. I'm to blame. Thank you. You think your neighbors would treat you kindly? You think your family would treat you? You'd be on the run. God's like, tell them this, and then run for your life. They couldn't find him. And what was God's plan to provide for Elijah? Okay, 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 hear me out. Elijah, tell the king no more rain. It's going to last a long time. You run for your life. Go to this hideout place, and then I'm going to provide for you. Okay, okay, got him in. How are you going to provide for me? All right, trust me now. I'm going to use birds. Your meal plan is going to consist of birds bringing you breakfast and birds bringing you dinner. And this is going to go on for how long? Could be a couple years. Don't worry. I talked to the ravens. I commanded them to do it. What? You want to see a picture of a raven? Check this out. This is a picture of a raven. Okay, what would you eat that came from that thing's mouth? What would you eat? Where, where, I'm trying to imagine like if I had to have this conversation with my wife, like, honey, God said we got to go, we got to move, we got to live by a brook, and what about food? Okay, trust me now, birds are going to bring it. What do you mean birds are going to bring it? Birds are going to bring it in the morning, birds are going to bring it in the, you mean they're going to bring it in their beak? They're going to bring it in their beak. Is it going to be sanitary? I don't know. I mean, it's probably not going to be like USDA choice meat, you know, like, it'll be free range. <laughs> I don't know. We just got to go. He's, bread and meat? Bread and meat? It's just going to come. We have a hard enough time talking our kids into eating normal food that's packaged and comes in boxes. I don't like it. It's too spicy. It's not good. I don't like Heat it up for me. Like, trust me, if the kids were out there, they wouldn't be like, oh, this is magically delicious. Let's eat it again. This is a very weird way to provide, but God was making a statement. The statement was this, Elijah. I'm in total control of the weather. I'm in total control of the land. I'm in total control of the animals. Therefore, I can provide for you anywhere, at any time, for any duration, using any means I choose. Hey, I'm not saying God's going to, like, send a kangaroo to your door with, like, food in its pocket for you. That's not God's plan for you. But if he wanted to, he could. 
He could provide for you in ways you would never even believe. If he can do that for Elijah, he can do that for every living thing. Trust God to provide. Even in the economy that we're living in? Yes. Lauren and I have definitely been hit directly with the economy, especially the housing market. When we were trying to do something nice for God and plant a new church called Harvest Palace, we thought he would bless us if we listed the house that we owned up near Wheaton and sold it so we can move to the place he's calling us. Sounded like an easy prayer request, sell the house so we can go do what you've asked us to do, right? Why would God not want to do that? We had the whole launch team of this church praying for us. And then we started having walkthroughs and open houses, and, then, and at the open house that we had, nobody came. Not even one person. We sat there on the couch looking out the window like, like puppies waiting for anything, and just like, where? There's nobody, just the little balloons floating in the wind from the sign, open house, and no one showed up. And we thought God must not love us. How, how can we trust God to provide when we ask him for something that's legitimate and, and he says no? Well, then Lauren said, maybe we're supposed to rent the house out. And I hated that thought. I hated it. I was terrified of becoming a landlord. I didn't want to rent the house out. Imagining all the worst tenants on the earth coming to live in our place. They're going to trash it. They're going to burn it down. They're going to stay. They're not going to pay us the rent. All these fears and fears and fears. Finally, I was like, fine, fine. We'll just, we'll just try by faith to rent it out. We prayed. We trusted God. And God brought a renter along very quick. And the renter paid us for the whole first year's rent with one check. Here you go, first year's rent. Okay. And then when the second year rolled around, she paid us the whole second year's rent in one check. And then when the third year rolled around, she paid us the third year's rent in one check. And she just did it again for four straight years Here's the whole year in advance. I said, you could pay us month to month. You know what she said? She said, I just don't like to write checks. It's inconvenient. I'd just rather get it over with. People don't do that. God brought us along a renter. And listen, listen. None of my fears came true. None of them. And they were loud. None of them came true. We had to trust God to provide it. He did something that's supernatural. That's not natural. Would you agree? That's not a natural human behavior that only he could do. Trust God to provide. Here's the thing. There's a second point. This one's a little harder to hear. Write this down. Define and correct the cause of your suffering. Trust God to provide. Write that down. Define and correct the cause of your suffering. Now, we need to understand that when a famine comes along, there's lessons God wants you to learn. If we don't learn the lessons in the famine, the suffering will continue beyond the famine. There's things when times get hard that God wants to teach you, me, our country, our government, our church. There's lessons we have to learn, and if we don't learn, we will repeat the mistakes. In this case, in this context, It's crystal clear what was going on. Wrong thinking and wrong belief led to the problems in Israel. You see, when God made a covenant with Moses, he said, if you keep the covenant, here's a list of all the blessings that will fall upon you. If you break the covenant, here's a list of all the curses that will fall upon you. 
To make it even more clear, at one point, they got all of Israel together. Imagine gathering up the United States of America. They put half the country on one hill. They put half the country on another hill. The one hill yelled out all the blessings of the covenant to the other. And then the other side yelled out all the curses that would come on the nation if they broke it to the other. God made it crystal clear. And the curses that would come involved famine, plague, the sword, war, and eventually exile. And the people broke the covenant. How did they do it? Well, they worshipped Yahweh, but they also worshipped Baal. They wanted to worship both. They refused to make up their mind. It's ironic that Elijah's name means, I worship Yahweh. Yahweh is my God. It's his name. But Israel was acting like Yahweh is my God, and so is Baal. And do you want to know what Baal's specialty was? Do you want to know? Each of the individual gods worship, they've got like a trick. They've got like a thing that they can do. Do you want to know what Baal's thing was? Take a guess. Take a guess. Make it rain. And then make the crops grow. That's his thing. That's his act. So we're going to worship Yahweh, but we're going to supplement with worshiping the God who can make it rain and make the crops grow. He's a pretty important God to worship. And God would not allow that to happen. So he went about teaching his people this lesson. I'm the only God in heaven who can provide for your needs. And I'll prove it to you by turning off the rain for three and a half years. Worship Baal all you want. No rain, no food. Are you going to learn the lesson? There's lessons that God wants to teach us during times of famine. Because, because even though you're not going to run to Baal and start worshiping him for rain, there's things you're going to run to. You're going to supplement trusting God to provide with other things. And God wants to strip you of all of that wrong thinking and all of that wrong belief and show you he alone can meet your needs. Now many things that you're suffering are not a result of your failures. You might think to yourself, as a nation... As a nation, I'm the victim of irresponsible lending. I'm the victim of irresponsible government policy. I'm the victim of irresponsible government spending, which led to this famine. It's not a mystery why the economy is where it is. It's a harvest. What was planted is now growing. You would be right. You'd be right. When our country goes against the grain of God's word, we suffer for it. But but it's time to evaluate your own personal behavior. Because if there's things in your finances that you're doing against the grain of God's word, you will suffer for that too. How do I know if I'm being obedient to God's word? How can I learn obedience during this famine? Well, here's three things you can ask yourself. Three questions to ask yourself. These aren't in your notes yet, but here they are. Ask yourself this. Am I guilty of reckless faithless spending into debt? Am I guilty of reckless, faithless spending into debt? My hand goes up. Yes. Yes. When we were trying to sell the house, we made some foolish decisions. We thought, oh, if we could update this and update that, it'll sell and then we'll pay it all back. Really bad plan. 
evidence of our lack of faith at that moment. God didn't need new countertops, new cabinets. He didn't need new anything to get a renter in there. Are you guilty of reckless, faithless spending into debt? Second question, am I guilty of having no written budget? You know what, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm just going to pay what can be paid and forget about the letters coming. I'm just going to ignore it, ignore it. I'm not even going to write out a spending plan. Hey, are you guilty of not even having a written budget? This is not what God has for you. He wants you to face this and to learn obedience from the famine. Ask yourself this, am I guilty of deception and manipulation with my spouse? Am I guilty of deception and manipulation with my spouse? This is a red flag and a warning sign that you're not responding to the famine in the way God wants you to. When you're sneaking around and hiding, it's because you think you have to control the situation. Because you don't think God can. If you're unwilling to even come together as a couple, if you're unwilling to bind up your spending and to limit things, it's because you don't want to follow God's way. You want to do it your way, even if it takes sneaking around and lying. The communication problems, the sin that comes, it's not a money problem, it's a heart problem. It's a faith problem. You're sneaking around and lying and manipulating because you're not trusting God to provide. Hey, if you fall in either of these three categories, you have to define and correct the cause of your suffering. And ask yourself this, are you truly ready to change? Do you really want to learn the lessons that God has for you in the famine? Well, I don't know. How do I know? Well, you can jot these down in your bulletin. Ask yourself this first. Am I willing to study what the Bible says? I mean, do I even want to know what God's Word says about saving, spending, communication, honesty, integrity, why it happens, what to do? Do you even want to know these things? Do you want to know how to do it God's way? Maybe the pain in your life is meant to drive you into His Word to learn what He's teaching you. Second question, are you willing to follow a plan and be held accountable? Are you willing to follow a spending plan and be held accountable? Willing to follow a plan? Yes. Willing to be held accountable? No. <laughs> Isn't that how we are sometimes? Oh, I'll write the budget down and then I'll lose it. Are you willing to follow a plan, an honest budget, and are you willing to have someone in your life who's holding you accountable? Third question, are you willing to meet with an advisor if necessary? Hey, listen, we have trained people in this church who meet with folks every week to talk to them about getting out of a helpless situation. Are you willing to make the call and even ask for the help? Or are you just going to be spinning in circles and hoping it goes away? God wants to teach you wisdom, and you have to be willing to reach out for help. If we don't learn obedience from the famine, then the suffering will continue when the famine is gone. And that's not God's will for you. Trust God to provide, but define and correct the cause of your suffering. Would Israel do it? We don't know. Are they going to learn that God means business and wants to bless them? Here's the third point. Jot this down. Lessons of faith from the famine. Understand how God provides. Fill that in. Understand how God provides. If you don't understand how God provides, you're going to be waiting for the bird to show up at your window, and that's not the only plan God has. I'm grateful for that. 
Jot this down. Most provision is from hard work. Most provision is from hard work. The Bible is crystal clear that if you can work, you should work. Listen, there are some people who can't work. I understand that. All right? I understand that. I'm not talking to people who can't work. I'm talking to people who can but won't. Won't. What does God say to you? If you're suffering financially and you or a loved one in your house is not willing to work, God's will is for your pain to continue until your obedience begins. Do you know the Bible says if a man does not work, he shall not eat? His will is no food goes into the mouth until you get off the couch and make it your full-time job to get a full-time job. Listen, this is a hard word to hear, but if there are some who are unwilling to work and can work, God's will is crystal clear. Understand how God provides. The most common way God provides is through hard work, through giving you a job. The suffering will continue until the obedience begins. Second point is this. Some provision is unexpected and supernatural. Some provision is unexpected and supernatural. This is the bird plan. And, and, and there's going to be times in your life where God does something supernatural that can't be explained. There's a woman who came up to me from the first service and she said, Pastor Ryan, after you said that, my mind was filled with stories. I, I wrote down 12 different times that God provided for us miraculously. Do you want to hear them? I was like, absolutely. She went down the list. Do you have the list? Do you have the list of miraculous, unexplainable things God has done in your finances? If you're walking by faith, that will be a long list. If you're walking by fear, it won't. When I was training to, get a, to become a pastor, back in 2004, I began at Moody Bible Institute, and we couldn't afford seminary. We didn't have a penny to put toward that. We had two kids. I had left a secure job in teaching behind to work at a church that could barely pay me. And, uh, and God began to bring people into our life who said, hey, do you want to go to school? Are you trying to get an education? Hey, listen, I, tell me what you need. And year after year after year, we never asked anyone for money. People kept sending us checks. It was like $25,000 by the time it was all said and done and we didn't have to pay a single penny. Supernatural. We didn't ask anybody to give. They found us. God did that. God saw me through Moody Bible Institute. God made it possible for me to get into ministry. And I've got many stories like that to tell because God will provide in unexpected and supernatural ways if you walk by faith. But here's the third point. This moves us along in this story. Some provision is from people that God places in your life. Some provision is from people God places in your life. Let's read on in 1 Kings chapter 17. We're now at verse 7. Verse 7. It says, And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Okay, it's like really bad when your water is shut off in your house. It's even worse when water is shut off in nature. The brook wouldn't bring any more water, and Elijah was like, this is where God told me to stand. Why did he shut the water off? Well, there is a reason. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Okay, now, on a map, do we have the map? Uh, on a map, here you go. Where was God sending Elijah? 
Well, you see on the right-hand side, by about the Jordan River, a little bit to the east, they, they think that's about where he was hiding out. Then God said, it's time to move. Look way up there to the north, where it says Sidon and then Zarephath. God sent this guy on a long trip all the way up there and said, yeah, I picked out a widow who's going to meet your needs. She lives pretty far away. Start walking. Wait a minute, I like the bird plan. That was doing just fine here, and that's a long walk. Nope, get walking. And there's a widow. Widow? Widows don't have anything. Widows in the ancient world were guaranteed to live on charity. Nope, there's a widow. Yeah, but wait a minute, Sidon, that's like Baal's homeland. She doesn't even believe in you. Just get walking. Another faith-stretching request. Verse 10, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. She said, So she got him the water, cup of water, fine. Bring me some food. Okay, hold on. As the Lord, listen, your God lives. She knew where he was from. As the Lord, your God lives. I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And die. She... All she had left was like crackers. She said our plan for the night is to make our last meal and then tomorrow... What would it be like if you went home today in the afternoon and you opened up all your cabinets and all you had left was a packet of crackers? That's all you've had for months. You go to the store and there is no store. They're all shut down. You go to the restaurant, there is no restaurant. They're all closed. Nobody's got food. You know it's come down to your last meal on earth. Could it get any worse? In addition, you're a single mom. You have a child. Elijah said to her, did you catch it? It says in verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. What? Do not fear fear. She's about to eat her last meal and Elijah asks for it. Go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. What kind of a request is this? You don't understand. I swear to your God that this is our last meal we're going to eat and we're going to die. Oh, can you bring me something first? What? Put yourself in her shoes. This stranger comes from the wilderness where he smells real bad. He's been there three years. He's been eating bird food and he asks for your last meal first and you got your child there, your son. And, and she says, okay. Why would she say okay? Because God Almighty knew that she had lost faith in her God who was not providing in his land you see, originally God got a home field victory in Israel and turned off the rain and showed he was God. Now he goes up to Baal's home turf in his stadium and shows, I'm going to provide for you. 
your people too. God's on the road putting Baal to shame. Your God hasn't provided for you, but my God will. Verse 14, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Elijah had a lesson to learn here. First, we already wrote it down, some provision is from people God places in your life. And God wants to teach you to lean on others. It's sad, but we do even have people in our own congregation who we contact and offer to help. And you know what they say? They say, no, we're fine. No, we're not. No, we're, we don't need that. No, we're good. And they're not. They're not good. But they refuse to let another person, a loved one in Christ, provide for them. It's fierce independence, it's pride, and it's sin. God has put the people around you who are ready lovingly to provide for you, and you say, no, I would rather fail to provide for myself than allow you to help. It's foolish, and it's sin, and it's stubborn. And if you're praying for the miracle, and God says the miracle's sitting next to you, and you say, no thanks, your independence is causing you to suffer. Some provision is from people that God places in your life. You ever have a child parents, you ever have a child who says, no, I do it all by myself. No, I do it all by myself. Our middle daughter, Cassie, when she was like, you know, two and a half, no, I do it all by myself. She tried to get herself dressed. Pants were on backwards. Shirt was on backwards. Tried to put her shoes on backwards. She, foolish. And when we say to God, no, I do it all by myself, God looks down and sees how foolish that is. No help. I'm fine. Understand how God provides. Hard work. Some in unexpected and supernatural ways, but not most. Some provision is from people God places in your life, and Elijah was willing to go. Here's the fourth point. This is the one that the widow learns. Jot this down. This is so important. Faith first, provision second. Write that down. Faith first, provision second. God will put you in a crisis of faith time and time and time and time again where you don't know what's going to happen. But you have a crisis. Will you believe that God's word is true and that he will provide or will you not? And the crisis of faith is meant to teach you faith. Faith first, provision second. God gave this worshiper of Baal a chance to show her faith in the one true God. How? How? Feed my servant first. I'll feed you for good. Crisis of faith. Feed my servant first. I'll feed you for good. Do you know that this principle is in the New Testament too? That if in your finances, if you give first to the Lord and to his kingdom, he promises to meet all of your needs. But do you know that that's a conditional promise? Do you know that if you let go of God's hand during a painful time, that God can't provide for you? Because you're not walking by faith. Do you know that if you don't partner with the Lord financially and give to Him first as a sacrifice and a statement of faith, faith first, provision second. It's a crisis of faith. Ask yourself this, am I giving to the Lord first or last? Ask yourself this, am I giving to the Lord first 
or last. Because faith gives generously when God asks. Faith gives generously when God asks. I'm not saying this because our church is in any financial need. I'm not saying this to raise funds. I'm saying this because this is how God teaches disciples. This is what God expects of all of us. And Jesus wants to be Lord in our finances. And that means He comes first, not last. Taking that step of faith, I've heard so many stories of people who have stepped out by faith and who have begun to give to the Lord. And then God opens the floodgates and provides. Ask yourself this question, am I giving to those in great need? Fill that in. Am I giving to those in great need? The widow, even though she was suffering, was willing to give to Elijah, who probably looked worse than her after his trip. Oh, wow, she says, you need this more than I. Here you go, take some water. Here you go, take some food. You look awful. Are you giving to those in great need? If the Lord has blessed you with a recession-proof job or period, are you reaching out to those who are suffering or not? Do you know that this is a law of finance in the Bible? Proverbs 19, 17, we'll put it up on the screen. Here's what it says. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. You give to those who are in need, especially those who are in the family of Christ, and God sees it. You know what he says? He says, you just lent to me. You just lent to me when you gave to that person. And guess what? I'm going to give back what you lent. Guess when? When you're struggling and suffering, when you're in need. What does that mean if I don't reach out to those in need? If I don't give to the poor, if I don't give to the needy? Well, then when you're in need, you could probably figure it out. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Am I giving to those in great need? Maybe God's using the famine to teach you generosity. There's a third point here. This is not in your bulletin, but you can fill it in. Am I praying with great faith? And this is, we come to it now. This is, the, this is the climax. This is the major point of this entire message. Am I praying with great faith? Am I praying with great faith? Luke 12, 22 to 24, Jesus said this. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Interesting, the bird that he chose. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? Than birds. Hey, are you praying with great faith in your time of famine? close by saying this, what was going on in Israel was identity theft. Identity theft. Someone had stole God's identity as the sole provider for them and given it to Baal, given it to someone else. God wanted to get it back. We found out our kids were thieves about a month ago. Our neighbors had planted flowers in their front yard and our kids went over there and liked the look of the flowers so much they dug them up and planted them on the side of our house. Our neighbors found out first. It's the side of the house we don't go on. When we walked over there, we were mortified. Theft. The Israelites were doing the same thing with God. They were stealing God's identity, and they were planting it in Baal's hometown. And guess what? God wanted his identity back. Maybe you have taken God's identity as the sole source of your provision and given it somewhere else. 
Your hope is somewhere else. Yourself. J.P. Morgan Chase. Who knows? Your hope is somewhere else. And you need to give God His identity back and tell Him by faith, through great prayer, I'm trusting you alone to provide. I want to give you the chance to do that right now. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and bring this message to a close. Father above, we commit this text into your hands. You have taught us now about your ability to provide and you control all of the animal kingdom and all of the weather and all of the land. You can provide for us at any time through any means for any duration. I pray that today, those in this room, maybe tonight, maybe this afternoon, would simply find a quiet place kneel down in your presence and say, Father, you can provide. I give you your identity back. Forgive me for stealing it from you. Be the God you've promised to be. Teach me what I need to learn and write unbelievable stories in my finances that can only be explained by you. We pray this all in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Provider, our King. Amen. Amen.